0: Welcome to another episode of The DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. Now, if you've listened to some of my previous podcasts, I've always mentioned we did one where I specifically said this is my second favorite least subject. And someone asked, well, what's your worst or what's your least favorite subject? And I was like, you know what? It's HR. So who better to bring into a podcast than our VP of HR, Charlie Webb. So, Charlie, welcome to finally getting drug in here to do a podcast with me. Thank you. You must have reached the bottom of the barrel <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to I, HR. I am scraping deep for content here. But I, I, I will say this. It's First of all, I think this is going to be an interesting conversation we're going to have. And the other interesting thing I, you probably don't know is every day when I go home, my kids always ask me. They go, Dad, Dad, you know, like, like how's your day? They're like, Dad, Dad. How was your day? And then I'm like, oh, it was good. Like, did you fire anybody? <laughs> and I, for the longest time, you know, sometimes I have to say yes, right? But I'm like, most, right. I'm like, nope. I got somebody that does that now for me. So, <laughs> but, but in all honesty, uh, let's just give a little background. Like, how long you been here with diesel laptops? And, sure. and what did you, what, what was your career path to being a senior VP of HR at a at a company?
1: Well, I've been here a little over two years, started in July of 2019. Um, My career is not a real traditional HR career. I started out as a lawyer. So I worked for a large Kentucky law firm, about 250 lawyers for about eight years, practicing mostly labor and employment law, got real tired of cleaning up other people's mistakes and thought I'll go in-house and that'll fix it. Went in-house legal and realized legal's not the one that makes the mistakes, HR is. So started getting closer and closer to the root cause of my issues, and that led me into an HR path.
0: Yeah. And so you worked some, for some pretty big companies before diesel laptops.
1: I have. I've uh, been a regional employee relations guy for Amazon with about 23 buildings, about 15,000 employees that I was responsible for their, their employee relations. I've been general counsel for Kia when they built their first car plant in Georgia, and been a VP of employee relations for a NASDAQ-traded company called ResCare with about 43,000 employees. So. Yeah. So now you come to diesel laptops with less than 200. Yeah. When I got here, we were at about 125, maybe 130. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. So I know, obviously, we're, we're growing fast and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, <coughs> you know, I... I, I like telling the story, I don't like telling the story, but you had a you had a kind of a, a like a curveball like week one right out, right out of the shoot with us.
1: I, I did. I actually had two if I can can tell them. Yeah. My um my first day, the HR manager at the time, my one and only direct report, was coming back from vacation. And I watched her walking around going, Did you hire somebody? Did you hire somebody? Did you hire somebody? She's trying to get payroll done, but she literally had no idea who had been hired. The managers did all the hiring. She'd been out of the loop for a week. And that was the first light bulb that went <laughs> off of, OK, some processes might need to be put <laughs> into place. But uh, but the real curveball came uh, around day six or day seven when we found out that person was embezzling from the company. Yeah. Uh, and so one termination uh, later, uh, I was a one man show <laughs> instead of a two man um, No institutional knowledge, no processes in place trying to figure out, okay, where do I start to climb this mountain ahead of me?
0: Yeah, and I think, and I tell people all the time, like I focused on really two things scaling the company up sales and marketing Mm -hmm. and then I said you know what all that other stuff accounting (laughs) HR we don't need we'll worry (laughs) about that later the numbers will lay we got money in our checkbook and and that really that really didn't bite me there both on both sides of those I I had Mike McGovern on here before talking about how Mm -hmm. long it took us to actually get financials (laughs) we went we went blind there for about a year um and in HR you know I, I think when I look back at it when you when you came in We we just had a lot of problems across a lot of areas.
1: We had a lot that needed done, but I don't think your experience is atypical. Don't you think most entrepreneurs, they're worried about that top-line revenue? They're worried about getting their name out there, building their brand. Sales and marketing is where probably 99% of them are going to put the...
0: So I think yeah, the first, like, 20 or so employees we hired, we just hired the first person that showed
1: up sure. for an interview. <laughs> Very like, typical, ah, right? Friends, family, <laughs> friends of friends, strangers on yeah. the street, warm yeah. bodies, whatever you can get.
0: Yeah. 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 And it was, it was in hindsight, uh, not a good thing. I mean, some actually worked out. Some are still here today. Some have
1: done a wonderful job and continue to grow with the company. Some kind of hit the ceiling and had to stop their growth or or, you know, maybe move on to something that fit better. And others have washed out, and that's okay, too.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, just fast forwarding all the way to today. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see this coming when COVID happened because COVID happened. We said, hey, we're not going to we're not going to lay people off. We're going right. to work through this thing. And of course, the PPP money helped. Um, and then we saw other people laying people off. So we kind of got an influx there of of diesel tax and some other people. But it really seems to have shifted in the last the last 12 months. You want to talk about the current hiring environment and sure. How bad is it?
1: Um, current is terrible. Everybody is short on candidates. You can tell by walking into any store or restaurant and trying to find people to wait on you. Um, We did go through a nice little boon from COVID in that nobody was changing jobs in in 2020. Uh, We had very, very little attrition. There were very few people hiring. Everybody went into a hunker down mode. And just like you've seen with lumber and steel and other products, it screwed up the pipeline. So now... Everybody's suddenly wanting to hire and it's gonna take several months, maybe even a year or two before the candidate side and the hiring side get back in alignment. In the meantime, it is very much a candidates market. It's very hard to find people, people that wanna work, people that um, aren't looking for exactly their dream job. It seems like anything's a deal breaker these days.
0: So I see a lot of people on the Facebook and social media channels because diesel techs have always been a problem and now it's even more of a problem. And everyone's solution is just pay more money, right? But yeah. it, that's easy to say that, but that that creates a lot of other problems when you when you start doing that. Can you talk a little bit about the the challenges of just all of a sure. sudden shooting out more
1: money to people? Um, you know, the number one for me is somebody always has deeper pockets. You you right. can be willing to pay whatever money you want to pay, but there's always somebody that's going to be a little bit richer, a little more desperate. So it's a little bit of a unconquerable game. Uh, beyond that, you can end up setting off a spiraling talent war where you pay a little more than they pay a little more and then the third guy pays a little more and now suddenly we're all paying double everybody ends up raising their prices you get record inflation like we're seeing now and it doesn't do any good that they're making more money everything costs more and so it's a little bit of a zero-sum game there and then the the third element is you may end up attracting people that are coming only for salary and there's nothing wrong with people wanting to make a good living but if that's your only reason for being at a job really easy to leave that job. You won't get a lot of long-term loyalty out of that.
0: Yeah, and then you got the whole problem too if you have 20 people in your department and you bring one in that makes more than the other 20. Absolutely, <laughs> like, you,
1: you but, have internal equity issues and so every hire has a domino effect. You're lucky if you can keep it to that department. Often it's that entire layer of the company or sometimes it's company-wide.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we have a lot of different departments. we got accounting people, marketing people, salespeople, mm-hmm. diesel techs, engineers. Are there certain ones that are still, do you see it across the board or is there certain departments that have been a little bit more difficult? You, you see it
1: across the board, although um, skilled labor, diesel techs, engineers are always going to be harder to fill. They were harder pre-pandemic. They're going to be harder post-pandemic. But as an example, I used to post entry-level inbound sales jobs, and in a week would have 400 applicants. And it was really more of a, how do we screen this down to the best people? Now you post, you'd be lucky if you got 100 applicants. You may get 50, and 90% of them wouldn't meet even basic entry-level qualifications. Yeah.
0: Well, and at Diesel Laptops, I know before you, our, our idea of like hiring people is, let's go find a local agency to just help go find us. Because mean mm-hmm. people yesterday, or um, we kind of just through an ad out there, like yeah. how, how do we, can you explain a little bit what we do today and kind of how we try to fill roles and walk through sure. that a little bit for people?
1: There's, um, there's nothing wrong with using agencies, but it's expensive. Typical agency wants 25% or so of the first year's salary. Um, one of the first arguments that I made to you right after we let the HR manager go was, I want to expand the department. It seemed a little crazy, week two or three employee doing that, but it was to, to get a full-time dedicated recruiter. The logic was being they only have to fill two or three jobs to have paid for themselves. Um, So we've experimented with the recruiting function over the years, and our current one is fairly new, but it's really still a combination of that, let's post the job and see what pipeline we get, but it's really more about active sourcing, keeping a network, nudging people who aren't necessarily looking for another job to say, you don't know our company, but if you did, you'd want to work here, and getting them to understand the culture, where you're at as a, startup, you're really in the sweet spot, right? You've been here long enough to have all the benefits and all the financial stability of somebody who's actually made it. But you're still in that fun startup, lighter culture. We're not a hundred year old insurance company. that's going to bore them to tears.
0: So when I work for somebody else, I never got any training on interviews, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was just expect I'm a manager. I interview and hire people. I never knew what the heck to even ask or say. And we have a bit of a process here that that we go through once we do find an applicant. Can you kind of walk through a little bit of of what that's like?
1: Sure, Um, all of our managers go through a a recruiting training and we really tell them to focus on job fit. So our, our process starts with the recruiter doing some screening and trying to make sure that there is a basic fit for the job, passing those on to the hiring managers and let the hiring manager whittle it down to, this is my best candidate or two. But then they come back to HR and we do a cultural interview and it's the dreaded behavioral style questions. Tell me about a time when, um, you know, there's a few hypothetical scenarios Like, What what are some of the questions you ask on there? That you have some favorites? Give a couple away? Okay. We'll give give a couple away. Like um, one of my favorites is tell me about a time you were right and everybody else was wrong. And it's one of my favorites because the right answer is I don't think that happens. Yeah. Um, now, occasionally we'll get a diesel tech who says, I fixed the unfixable and I'm really proud of it. I don't discount someone who's got a true black or white, right or wrong answer. Yeah. But I'm worried about the person who says, oh, that's all the time. Just yesterday <laughs> your recruiter did this and they were wrong and um, it, it actually comes from a past life of mine where we hired a former controller to be a staff accountant and nine days later she declared the entire accounting department was a disaster, could never be fixed. Uh, was declaring the lawyer didn't know the law, the HR people didn't know HR, and I thought, we might need to start screening for that. That's yeah. probably not a good trait in an employee. Um, yeah. So I actually started the last company over that, but it's been one of my favorites to bring here.
0: You know, I've heard you ask, that. I've been in interviews with you, you've asked people those types of questions. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'd answer that right. <laughs> what are uh, you trying to look for here? What's the angle? They're They're not your typical prep questions that you see when you Google like interview questions.
1: Correct, and even the ones that come from Google, I'm a you know page six, page seven kind of Google guy. I'm reading the deep results, one question per article kind of yeah. deal, but I try to find ones that line up with our leadership principles. You know, when I, I came here, we put in a, a culture that went around six principles that spell out diesel, and while some of them are very objective, like deliver results, and it's really about you know getting the job done a lot of them are about how you approach a job and the kind of personality that would fit in well here, being very open to change with the fluid nature of our business or um, acting in the company's best interest in the long run, not just what's in the best short-term interest or the best personal interest. So there are questions that are, are designed to mirror up with those principles and try to find somebody that not only will be successful here, but that you know we won't drive crazy either. A lot of people can pick... Any job out there, uh, have their choice of companies, especially in the current market, but why do you want to go work for somewhere that you're going to hate every minute you're there? Yeah. Uh, You know, they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And I always thought that made a good bumper sticker, but was (laughs) stupid because I had never had a job I truly loved. Now that I've got one, I get it. So I'm trying to pass that on to other people.
0: Yeah. So I know those leadership principles, a lot of people see those things and like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's, you know, whatever, some corporate silly thing that someone came up with. Everybody's got them. Yeah, everyone's got them. Right. But I mean, we tie them into more than just the poster down on the wall when you walk into the into the building.
1: We do. um, Our entire performance review system is now based around that. And we use objectives, goals and metrics to emphasize the deliver results one to make it about half of the grade. But the other half comes from the other five leadership principles. And We actually have a a little worksheet. Uh, Our managers don't even fill out reviews. They answer questions about how people do or don't line up with the, the leadership principles. And then HR has a little Excel translator that says, based on those answers, this is the actual score that you get.
0: Well, I gotta say, I mean, I thought I knew Excel well, and then you started doing stuff with Excel I didn't even know was possible, like to make (laughs) an archive. So you're you're like, again, let me say like on page seven of the Excel manual or 700 finding that stuff. Yeah,
1: I'm really not, I would not consider myself an Excel guru, but I'm a hack. I've always done my own computer programming, changed games to make them play the way I want them to play. and so. I'm the guy that says, well, Excel is an extension of VBA. I can do about anything in it if I can just figure out how to do it. Well, when you made our org chart like a clickable thing to yeah. do, like
0: I was like, wow, I didn't I didn't know Excel could even do this. It's
1: an unusual. And it wouldn't probably be the ideal software. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking for something visual that looks like you know one of the third-party softwares but was free. And so Designed it in some hyperlink tabs in Excel so that you can just click through on the pictures and it takes you up and down the org chart and shows the hierarchy. And the only problem is, of course, we uh, as a growing company have a need to completely reorganize from time to time. and It's a little bit of a bear to update something in Excel, but for the end user, it's very seamless.
0: Yeah. So when I was a manager working for someone else, and even now, and I try to tell my direct reports the same thing, like you you get that review time that comes up every Mm -hmm. year, right? And, you know, one of the things I always... Try to tell people is like, look, when you when you go into that review with your employee, they should know where you're at before Absolutely. that review happens, right? But I didn't I didn't get that training before when I worked for someone else, and a lot of times review times were surprise times, sure, right? And that's that's a hard thing to do. So are we doing training and, and teaching our employees, and and how do we how do you manage from? from that point to the the next review, right? A year later.
1: We do, we um, first of all invest in training the managers. We identified about 10 different biases that are just inherent in performance reviews. Nobody's a bad guy, it just, it happens. Uh, For example, there are people that the first impression is the last impression. That's what they think of that employee from then on. Or the opposite, the last impression, I forget the 11 months of good stuff (laughs) they screwed up yesterday or vice versa. Um, so we've tried to weed out the biases that we can in our system and then the ones that we can't, we've tried to train the managers on how to recognize and be self-aware. But we do say, you know, it is a performance review. You're reviewing the last 12 months. It's not supposed to be anything new, but we have formal goals. We're driving that lower and lower into the organization so that people should know exactly where they stand on that half of the performance review and at least what the objective is going to be. We also do a mid-year follow-up with our lowest rated employees if they are still with us and have not been managed out to re-review them and make sure that they're not going to hit that low review again. If they're not making progress, then I'm looking to the manager to say, what are you doing to make them more successful?
0: So say a manager in a company has 20 employees, 30 employees, Mm -hmm. right? And they do the reviews and they all come back like top ranked. Is, is, is that a red flag or what? How do you how do you handle it? Because that it happens, is. right? People are, like don't want to be mean sometimes or they don't want to be honest. right? And if everybody's throw- top
1: ranked, nobody's top ranked, right? Yeah. You, you want some uh, level of performance to be able to say the superstar does get a better reward than the star or than the person who's barely getting by. So it's it's definitely a red flag. We try to preempt some of it by not letting the managers actually see the reviews. Yeah, The worksheet, and it's just a little conditional formatting in Excel, but literally each question disappears as they answer to try to make them focus on just one question at a time. And they don't answer this person's an exceeds or they're above or they're below. They answer questions like, do you see this leadership principle often, always, seldom, never? Um, And then we translate that into a score so that they're not tempted to fudge it just to fudge it. Now, if it still comes out, everybody's the top, then I have to take the manager aside and say, I think you're being a little too generous with these reviews. Uh, You know, we do a calibration with you every year to say, here's who who stood out the top. Here's who stood out the bottom just to make sure it kind of lines up with your opinion of them, my opinion of them, what we see day to day, what they they did or didn't do on their projects. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, inevitably in every organization, you got your top performers, you got a group in the middle and you got a group at the bottom, right? Absolutely. So what do we do with that group on the bottom?
1: The group on the bottom, um, we have four review levels, model contributors, strong, developing, needs improvement. All of our needs improvement and some of our lower developing contributors go into a plan out of the annual review. Now that plan may be A different job. We've identified they're terrible at this job, but they're good people. If we just put put them over here, they'd be successful. Maybe a performance improvement plan. It it may be, you know, something that looks more like a final warning that says your job's now at jeopardy. I got to see more if you want to keep your job. But they all go into individually tailored plans to try to make them either be successful, get them to move on, or get to the point where the manager says nothing personal, but we've got to part ways for the good of the company.
0: Yeah, I just remember, again, working for other people, right, and and it was always like, ah, that person sucks, fire them, All right. or, yeah. you know, and it was just like these instant things, and that's, I think, what changed a lot when you got here, I, I kind of just thought that's the way it was, because I've always been, you're like, well, yeah. let's, let's, is this the environment, is it the job yeah. assignments, is it, what can we do to different here, and like the wrong, right bus, wrong seat, yep, all those things. That and I happen. think
1: it depends on what's going on. For me, terminations fall into three big categories attendance, performance, and behavior. If it's behavior, we're not Canada. It's not, you stole from us, here's a first warning, don't steal again or get a second yeah. warning. But if it's attendance or performance, I usually try to salvage somebody. If it's attendance, I need to understand do they just not want to get up in the morning or are they having medical issues or some other maybe family issue that we can help them work through? And if it's performance, I start with the idea of was the manager clear enough? Did we give them a clear enough goal? Do we tell them this is not good enough performance for our company standard?
0: So I see this come up all mm-hmm. the time with people I've I've worked with again companies I've worked with before and I see it actually in a lot of Facebook groups as well. Where where someone owns a shop or manages will say, "Man, I have I have a great top performer in my organization, sales technician whatever he yeah. is." But he or she is just impossible to work with, <laughs> right? Like, like, the, they're, the, like, like they're the best salesperson, they bring in a ton of revenue, but they, they leave a trail of disaster in their yeah. wake and they, they're upsetting everybody else inside the organization and causing chaos wherever they go. Yeah. Uh, it, how do you deal with that? Because as a company, you don't want to give up that big sale, but you know right. – there's not good things happening, and people are learning and seeing what's happening there. So, what what advice would you give to people that are kind of caught in that little what do I do situation?
1: Yeah, it's uh, for me, it's a three prong attack. One is add some cultural interview questions so you don't hire more of those people because you you need to at least tie off the existing ones. Two, you've got to try to salvage that person and develop them, but that usually means weighting your performance reviews so that regardless of the sales, there's still some teeth into what happens if you don't treat people the right way. Um, You can tell people all day long, I expect this, but if you don't measure it and you don't tie it to the rewards and the recognition, then they're not going to worry about what you say. If, you know, you give that salesperson a big giant bonus every year and say, but don't treat people badly. Well, they seize the giant bonus. They don't think you're serious. Ultimately you have to be willing to say, I'll put up with a little bit of bad, but if they cross this line, they go. Yeah. That's painful. But if you have done the other prongs correctly, then you have started to hire people that can hit those results without the baggage. Plus, you've developed some of the people that are struggling into better employees. And then you're not losing everybody who's struggling. It's just that one person who's not getting it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've I remember talking to someone before and they they were they were, you know, senior vice president with like one away from the top. And I asked that question, like, you know, what would you do? You know, you got you got 10 people there. One guy selling the most of the stuff, but just cancer and just causing problems all over. And they were straight up like, I will never fire that person. I was like, I don't think that's a great long term strategy because eventually that person leaves, whether it's their choice, your choice, death, retirement, whatever. And now you have a whole culture of that's acceptable behavior inside our organization. And I
1: would say, you know, what could you have done with the other nine if they weren't worried about dealing with the first guy? Yeah. Um, at at some point, the results are very visible, but the other side of the scale is very hidden and you've got to figure out how much damage it's doing. If somebody's just a little prickly and it's not a big deal and people are accommodating it, that's probably the right answer. If they're a jerk that's causing you massive attrition or demoralizing your whole sales force, well, you probably get a lot more out of 10 B players than one A player if the Bs are being turned into Fs.
0: Yeah. Well, and then let's talk about, I mean, eventually... Everyone's employment ends at their company one way or the other, sure. right? Retirement, death, they quit, or they get fired. Like yep. one of the, one of those four things inevitably happens, essentially. Um, and and sometimes firing people can be tough. Mm-hmm. And I know when you came here, I mean, you you've worked for Amazon, you worked for Kia. I'm sure you've had to terminate hundreds or
1: thousands of people throughout more the than years. I <laughs> right?
0: Sure, it's just it's part of it's, it's part of what happens. Yeah, in our organization. thirty years
1: of having that job, you, I've fired a lot of people. Yeah you've,
0: yeah, you've hired a lot too,
1: right? To be sure. fair, right? It's like Michael Jordan
0: he's missed more shots than anybody, right? right. But he's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um. But, you know, at the end of the day, you said like one of the worst terminations we've ever had happened at Diesel Laptops, which kind of put yeah. me off guard. I was like, I, oh. I have
1: to admit, in, in 30 years, I probably had my worst one here. Um, I have normally been able to fire people and no matter what their personality, been able to part on a professional basis. They may have hated me, I may have gotten cussed out, but at the end of the day, they got it together enough to leave. Um, when I went to fire one of our tech support people here, she literally would not even like look at our end of employment, frequently asked questions, threw it in the floor, stormed off, and before I could stop her, had walked into the main room and began calling people out by name among yeah. her coworkers, calling them
0: Derogatory misogynistic names. and homophobic
1: <laughs> names. And I essentially had to threaten to call the sheriff and basically yell back as we marched down from the second floor to the door and get her out and then watch to make sure she didn't hit anybody in the parking lot because of the level of rage that she had. Probably did not handle it as well as I could have. But uh, but yeah, it sort of reminded me that no matter how long you've done this, there's always that situation you're not ready for.
0: Yeah, yeah. it, it, it
1: people, people are different, right? They are. And the same changes that you see in society, you know, HR is just a microcosm for that. So if you see people that are, Getting more temperamental or more polarized, it's inevitable. You'll see it in the workforce. In my defense, we did inherit her. She's not pass our <laughs> cultural interview. and Convinced would not pass our interview, but you know we have some longer term employees. I mean,
0: and, let's talk time. about that. I mean, we're struggling to find software developers and find certain positions. And you know, one of our teams finally found somebody. And, and your your team did the cultural, and you, I guess you wanna explain that story a little bit. Dear we are really trying to find these roles, right? We, like we are, s-
1: they're, you know, number one hiring priority among recruiting. Um, we know it's a tough market. We know that it's a very competitive market salary-wise. It's very competitive location-wise. You see West Coast companies that are willing to hire developers and leave them in South Carolina and let them just work from there. So we're not just competing with local employers, but Google and Facebook and Amazon and anybody. Um, You hate to lose any candidate, but we had one that was probably the worst cultural interview I've seen in five years, Uh, red flag after red flag. And a lot of it was in that, it's gotta be my way kind of vein. Well, our engineering team is currently moving into Scrum and Agile. Teamwork. They have a new system. (laughs) It's very team oriented. It's very process oriented. Everything screamed, this person's going to fail, and if we don't fire them in the first 90 days, we'll be lucky to get them six months before they quit in frustration. Yeah. So as painful as it is to not have that resource, I just have to ask myself, will they add any value in that short time, or are we just giving them a check to torture us and us torture them? Yeah. So, I mean, you've been doing
0: this for a while, as you mm-hmm. said, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-40s now and everything, and I, I feel like we got a lot of young employees over here, right? Is that Did you see a difference as you've gone through the years and and how new employees come into an organization, their first working jobs? Or is it kind of been the same thing all the time? Or has there been a shift at all that you've seen? Um,
1: There's been a shift. People are people. and, And on a fundamental level, everybody is somewhat the same. But generationally, you used to bring people in like my first job, I was told it will be eight years before you're promoted. So don't even ask until seven. <laughs> like right in, the, the in the eighth year, <laughs> the start of the eighth year, you're eligible, but don't ask for seven. I didn't think that was odd. I yeah. just kind of shrugged and said, "Thanks for telling me." And every year they'd tell me if I was on track or not, and we'd move forward. Now we ask people, you know, how long do you think it should be before you're promoted? Three months. Yeah. And you know, you get people that, well, I've been here 30 days. Why am I not an SVP by now? <laughs> um, it's a an accelerated expectation that's really hard to combat. And while you can get that from any candidate, you see it more in the recent high school college grads, uh, maybe up to about the late 20s.
0: So, I mean, and I'll, I'll pick on Riley here for a second. Mm-hmm. So, so, Riley, you know, I was in my garage, right? I needed to hire somebody. And, you know, I made Riley an offer and, you know, I remember talking like two months later, he's still just like, I'm in the warehouse, right? Yeah. Riley, he's, a, he's our director of ops now. Like he's, right. he's a, he's a great guy, but I just remember being like, so how do I make a hundred grand a year? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you've been here like three weeks and you're packaging stuff in the warehouse. Like, I don't know. I don't make that much yet. Like, let's, let's figure this out together.
1: Well, I don't know how you fixed him, but he has been fixed. <laughs> we, we have that conversation. He very much gets it now and Riley's about 25 now, but, um, He gets the same question now from his people and so he has to sit them down and explain if you're a warehouse worker there's nothing wrong with that but you're not going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year until people that flip burgers are making a hundred thousand dollars a year and a hundred grand doesn't buy you anything um we look a lot at we have people that work in warehouse or production who like to code as a, a hobby and we start trying to build a pipeline into workflow analysis like we did with John Phillips or into engineering, uh, you know, we, we try to create a growth path for them, but realistically, it usually means leaving their department. Certain yeah. functions are never going to pay more than a, a set ceiling just based on the world's value judgment, not yeah. yours or mine, but what the external market says these services are worth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I look at like one of your drug reports, Vanessa. Right? Mm-hmm. She started an executive assistant, and now mm-hmm. she's HR manager. HR manager, right? Right. I look at Alan Morgan. He started in the warehouse. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe Cole. I don't know what he was doing. Right. And now, now the guys are, like our business intelligence. Yeah, business right? intelligence. Right. Yes. So it's amazing when people have opportunity, and and you can almost you can see it in them. Right. You can almost see it right away. The ones that want to learn more, the ones that are putting extra effort in, the ones that are asking, those have always been the hard ones for me to 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 be tangible, to understand, is this a good a good employer or not? But you can kind yeah. of see it once you get them working inside.
1: Generally, quality rises to the top. And if people take any job as if it is the most important job in the company, they will really set themselves aside. Uh, the interesting I'm seeing thing I'm seeing now versus in the past, when you make an offer to somebody like a Vanessa or an Allen, they're so grateful. They'll take whatever you give them. They're just happy to be moving up. Now I'm turning around offering people, you know, 20 and 30% raises and they're going, Well, I was out on the internet and I think you ought to pay me another 15 <laughs> yeah. grand. Oh,
0: the internet. <laughs> yes. And
1: I've I've had to come back and say, well, those are for people who do that job. You're getting a chance to to be put in that new role that you've never done and you don't have even entry-level experience or training. Prove yourself and we'll let you keep growing with the yeah. company and do it. But otherwise I've got to go look for the best candidate that may or may not be you. So if you yeah. want market rate. You're going to have to go compete with the market.
0: Well, and I think, let's talk about the first seconds. I think people do that. They go to like mm-hmm. salary.com or glassdoor.com. That they, one's they horrific. Salary.com, yeah, so, and make
1: it spit out, you know, a million bucks for your job and a half million for mine.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Are, they, is it just, is it, are those reliable sources? Are they just so wide and all over the board? Or how do you, how I do find you narrow them all down all what the you board. pay somebody? Um,
1: yeah. And it's not to bash any particular one. But when you see a zip recruiter say something's 40000 and salary.com say it's $140,000, somebody has got to be wrong. Yeah. I'm not going to say which one, not for me to judge. So what I do is I look at a half dozen different ones and I look for commonality. If five of the six are saying 40 grand, then I know that's really the market and the other one's just trying to pump up salaries. If five of the six say 140, then, you know, I'm probably going to have to pay 140. You just have yeah. to look for a recognizable pattern. And then you also have to to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Some of the data is geared to experience, some is not. Some is geared to location, some is nationwide. Obviously, being in South Carolina, we're not gonna pay what San Francisco would pay. So you have to know how realistic is the data you're looking at.
0: Yeah, and I again, experience here, experience other places. The other situation I found myself in a bunch of times is employee comes to you and says, oh, I got another job offer somewhere else that pays X more dollars per year, right? and you know my my perception I think is the same as yours. Like we we all know where it's heading, but a lot of times a lot of people think the other way. Do you want to kind of give your two cents on on how you deal with those situations and, and what you think? Sure. If, that, if where you're at there.
1: Somebody came to me and said, I'm thinking about looking or I've been looking because I have problems A, B, and C, and problem number D was salary. I would listen intently and I would try to figure out are these A, B, and C problems things I can solve or are these unsolvable just DNA of our company. And if I can solve the other issues, then I would look at market and say, do I need to make a counter to keep this person? If somebody comes in and says, I have an offer, I say, thank you for your service. Good luck with the next role. Don't let the front door hit you on the backside. Yeah. Because mentally, they're already gone. And in my experience, every time I have ever, for whatever reason, allowed myself to be forced into a counter, it bought me six months at most. Yeah. before somebody then paid higher than that counter and eventually you get tired of having to write somebody a check because they spend all day job searching versus doing their job. Yeah, um, I am collared by one of my first corporate experiences where I went out of fear we were going to lose somebody that didn't even report to me. They were just very essential to my function. And I raised a couple of other corporate issues and I said, no, by the way, I think I'm underpaid. The next day, I had a fifteen percent raise and shut up. No, you know, quit bringing <laughs> these other issues up. Yeah. And I just took the fifteen percent raise and went and got my first day <laughs> job. I saying, "Well, I'll need to make more because now I make this." Yeah. Um, but the bottom line was they hadn't solved any of my problems, and my life was still going to be bad if I stayed. So it was thank you for the raise, but they'll pay me just as much over here. In,
0: in my experience, both on the employee and the employer side, it it has been if employees are generally happy. Whether it's their the, their coworkers, the work they enjoy doing, or or whatever it is, you got to pay them a, a acceptable wage, obviously, sure. right? But usually, that's not the driving factor when someone decides to to quit and go somewhere
1: else. Yeah, I think it goes back to the somebody's always got deeper pockets. You really, I think, want to pay the middle of the market because if you pay the high end, you're just baiting somebody else to come in and set a new high
0: end. Yeah, yeah, and I view that on the sales end too, right? Like mm-hmm. we. We sell our tools for more than anybody else, <laughs> like, you know, but we get these other things with it. And yeah, I, you know, sure. I know as a growing company for us, it's for me too, it's been a struggle, right? Because I'm trying to grow my company and then like, hey, we need to do a 401k, it's gonna cost this much a year. We need yeah. to, to do this thing and better benefits and more of these things.
1: I do sometimes feel like I'm just going <laughs> to you asking for money every other day, but um, hopefully we're, we're saving enough to pay for these things. But yeah, as the company grows, Certain things become more and more expected, like the 401k that we we put in the beginning of this year.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I realized that a while back, too. I was like, man, you know, if we don't offer good medical and have great benefits mm-hmm. and 401ks and, and all these other things we want to do, You'll I'm, never gonna, I'm never going to get the good talent that we need to have to, to keep growing at the rate we want to grow. Or yeah. you're
1: going to have to pay the absolute top of the market cash-wise because they're going to turn around and use most of that to pay for their benefits.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, no, exactly. So... Um, so if anyone is listening to this, they they run a small business or they're just getting going, any any basic one-on-one advice you'd give them just just kinda as they're starting to build their business.
1: Sure. I think the the first thing I would say is when a lot of people hit that need for an HR person, they tend to get an office manager instead of an HR person. Yeah. And I think that's a miss because you'll get somebody that'll get everybody paid, and that's important, yeah, but you won't get any of these bang for the buck that we're talking about. The second thing I would say is if you're too small to really afford that HR role, remember that 90% of HR is just treating people right. Yeah. There is about 10% that it is very technical and you will probably screw it up and you will probably get <laughs> fined at some point, but you can avoid the big lawsuits. You can avoid 90% of of you know the discrimination, harassment and so on just by treating people like their family or like their best friends. I'm not saying cross any lines or be friendly you know, outside of work or anything like that, but just treating them the, as well as you would treat your family or your best friends. Yeah,
0: I again, I was just on, there was just a Facebook post the other day where uh, an owner of a small shop was like, hey, I'm, I'm looking to hire some people, I'm not sure what to offer me, kind of like listed all his benefits. And he's like, what do you guys think? You just get input. And mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden, two days later, the guy's got like 500 comments from people like giving ideas Something. and suggestions and everything. Um, and the one that got the most likes was the guy that's like, "Look, I don't, I don't probably don't get paid as much as I should, but you know, my boss buys us lunch every day. There's cold beer in the fridge on Fridays. We all sit around and just, just talk about whatever. Um, I need a new tool in the shop because something broke. He gets it for me right away. He takes care of me. I get as much time as I want off. But I also." But I also need to get work done. I'm on a salary. Yeah. Like, you know, so the, you tell the guy was really like, hey, I love the guy I work for. Yeah. And and that was the the number one rated, number one like thing on there, which shouldn't really surprise people.
1: No, most people don't leave jobs. They leave bosses. Yeah. And even if they're leaving a boss that they don't have a problem with, it's often because they think their boss can't fix the problems <laughs> they do have. Yeah. So even if it's not a bad boss, it may just be a, a powerless boss. Um, I think you, you will find that... The total compensation, and I don't even just mean monetary, but the hours you work, the work environment you work in, the way your boss treats you or doesn't treat you, whether you feel like somebody's got your back when you do make a mistake, because we all make mistakes. Yeah, I think most employees want to believe there's a system, it's fairly applied, and I'm not going to lose my job tomorrow unless I do something fairly egregious. yeah. Once you remove that fear, it becomes a much more tolerable thing to do to go to work. If you're walking on eggshells every minute of every day, of course, you're going to be miserable.
0: Yeah, and it goes to retention, too, especially in a Absolutely. time like this where it's so hard to find people. And if you're just flipping employees... yeah. Your your business is never going to do what it should do, and I've been in departments of companies where that's been the case. Like it's a new hire every week, it feels like, and someone else walks in. Well, we're
1: seeing certainly an attrition spike with the COVID hiring opening up after a year of no other jobs. But I like that at least some of our people are thinking twice. They they know there may be more money or some other carrot maybe dangling in front of them, but they also know I'm giving up something I may not get in the next work environment that's what you try to do to to really retain employees. May not be able to compete with the financials, but the the intangibles can
0: win. I think you said it right. Treat people like you want to be treated, Mm -hmm. right? You do that, you do that, you got got most of it done at that point. And there are good resources out there. I mean, we outsource some stuff like, that we have Slow Montgomery in town that helps us and stuff. Sure, and they're, they're, even companies our size have resources that we go find. We have
1: Palmetto Payroll, which is a great partner on the payroll side. Slow Montgomery on the unemployment side. Outside counsel to boost anything that I'm not comfortable handling. But we do tend to keep most of it in source just because maybe I'm a control freak, but I like <laughs> having somebody that I see day in and day out that I can work with if there's an issue. Um, Part of it is scale. Sometimes we just don't have the volume to get the cost that would make it worth outsourcing.
0: Well, I know we had a low bar set for you when you came in, when we had to terminate someone <laughs> embezzling from us. But you're doing a great job for us, Charlie. Well, so I, I really appreciate I've got it. Got a good boss. So I'm <laughs> very happy here. We're getting so. brownie points with each other here. There you so. go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you much for coming on. For uh, it's me. been great. It's always I, I joke. I, I do appreciate what HR does for the company for the employees. It's a very important part. It's just, I'm more of a sales and marketing guy and these things need to get I need great people that can do it.
1: I don't blame you a bit. HR, like all people, is weird and gross (laughs) and I don't blame you for not wanting to deal with weird and gross or overly bureaucratic lawyers who give us all these rules to follow, but Hopefully you see the value in having somebody not just buffer it, but get you a good result within the, the area too. I,
0: I definitely see it now that you've been here two years. I'm like, thank God Charlie's here. You have no, <laughs> no, no, you have no idea how many times I've gotten home and told my wife that same, that, that exact thing. So it, it's been great I having you here. That. And uh, I think we have a lot of future ahead of us. And I, I'm I'm sure diesel is going to go a lot in places. And, you guys got a lot of people to hire over there currently. We do.
1: Looking forward to a long ride with yeah. some well, old a, friends. Well, a ones. quick
0: plug: if they want to find where we have open job positions, where do where's the best place for people to go? Always right
1: now? on our website and typically on Indeed.com as well. But uh, laptops.com every job's out there, including the ones we may not be actively trying to hire, but are generally interested in, like I, diesel mechanics. I would say the last couple people we hired,
0: they we didn't have job openings for them. Correct. He's, like great people found us, and we're like, okay, we're gonna, Correct. we're gonna figure this out. We're we, not afraid to. We obviously can't do
1: that for everybody, but <laughs> if there is talent, um, sometimes we don't know the jobs we need until <laughs> we see somebody and go, wow, that's exactly the kind of person. We yeah,
0: need. and that reminds me. I think I need to hire a couple more positions. I'm gonna talk to you right after this about that. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're on any of the podcasts everywhere, if you're on YouTube, we thank you for watching. Charlie Webb, VP of a Senior VP of HR and Legal. Uh, does a great job for us. You definitely need to have an HR department if you're going to do anything at all and grow your business. So with that said, as we end every episode, it's just not diagnostics, it's diagnostics done right. And having a great HR and legal department really helps that cause. Thank you for watching and listening.